Earlier this week, the executive's vice president for digital, Margareta Vestaya, suggested that coronavirus contact tracing apps could play a vital role in cross-border travel this summer. Welcome to your Active's Digital Brief podcast with me, Samuel Stolton, where I'll look into this issue further as well as give a lowdown of the week's biggest European tech news stories in the world of politics and policy. So now Europe is starting to think about the time in which it can escape from the current quarantine period. And speaking to internal market MEPs earlier this week, Margareta Vestaya said that without the use of contact tracing apps, the EU would find it really difficult to open up to the degree that it would want to. She said that we all hope that summer is not lost and that we will have a vacation and the opportunity to travel. Um, This follows on from a trend that is very much in vogue at the moment in Brussels to consider the use of contact tracing apps as almost passports to travel for the summer months and people are starting to talk about how these different types of technology could be employed um, to enable cross-border travel. Um, In this vein actually a readout from an EU telecoms ministers meeting earlier this week said that ministers came to an understanding that the contact tracing apps would have high importance for the gradual relaxation of various national measures, including the opening of borders. Um, This meeting between the telecoms ministers came after a meeting, I believe it was last week, between um, interior ministers of the EU. Um, And they spoke about the use of coordinating uh, the contact tracing apps um, for the very reason that they could contribute to the easing or abolishing of internal border checks and the potential lifting of entry restrictions on the external union borders. Um, Generally, ministers are calling for interoperability between the different contact tracing apps um, being rolled out in the European Union at the moment, basically due to this fact that it will be an enabler um, for people to embark on cross-border travel and um, still be able to make the most of their summer holidays. Um, this is despite, of course, um, certain different approaches adopted by member states in terms of the data processing and storage protocol of coronavirus contact tracing apps. And I'm obviously thinking here particularly of the United Kingdom and France, um, who, of course, have opted for centralised data storage architectures in their coronavirus applications. Incidentally, uh, the French junior minister for digital, Cédric O, um, who attended the telco uh, video conference between EU ministers earlier this week, uh, said that France's Stop COVID app would take uh, trials would take place next week, uh, with a view to being rolled out nationally on the second of June. Of course, this is pending a debate in the French Parliament. On the UK's side. Uh, The UK's app has been tested this week at controlled locations at the Isle of Wight. Um, And NHS X, the branch of the National Health Service which oversees this project, has recently announced members of its ethics advisory board. Um, This comes at a time in which a lot of privacy advocates are quite concerned, actually, about the use of um, the UK's app. Um, And this hasn't 
really been appeased at all by comments made this week by the chief of NHSX, Matthew Gould, who told um, the UK Parliament's Human Rights Committee that the country's app may have unintended consequences in the future and that the very system wasn't being optimised for privacy in itself. Elsewhere across the European Union, in terms of contact tracing apps, the Italian app, called Immuni, will be launched at the end of the month, uh, reports Euractiv's Gerardo Fortuna this week, and you can find out more about that application on the Euractiv website. And uh, going across to Austria now, tourists in the country could be forced to install the Stop Corona application developed by the Red Cross if they want to enter the country. Um, a close advisor to Chancellor Sebastian Kurz said earlier this week in the Financial Times. Um, elsewhere in the European Union, Ireland has opted for a decentralised app. The government has decided to back a decentralised model of data processing uh, for its system after having met with Apple and Google recently. Moving on to another topic now, and Vestaya has been very busy this week. Um, it wasn't just contact tracing apps that she was discussing with EU telecoms ministers. She was also talking about the subject of 5G telecommunications and the various delays that have taken place across the block with regards to the auctions for spectrum frequencies. Delays have been announced in Spain, Austria, Portugal, Poland and the Czech Republic, um, all due to coronavirus uh, concerns. Uh, Vestager effectively told EU telecoms ministers to limit as much as possible any delays to their 5G spectrum assignments. Um, this is in the context of EU objectives in the field of 5G deployments, including um, one by the end of 2020 that each member state should have some sort of a 5G architecture in place and that there should be a rapid expansion of uh, 5G infrastructure by 2025. Elsewhere, and talking about data protection now, and the Hungarian government has announced plans to suspend its obligation to certain protections laid out in EU data protection law until the current state of emergency period has been declared over. And that report comes from Euractiv's Vlad Maximov. In terms of data protection more broadly now, from a Brussels perspective, and the European Data Protection Board has released new guidance on the GDPR with two important updates. The first being that access to a website cannot be on the condition of a cookie consent agreement, while the second is the fact that the EDPB say scrolling down a website cannot now be considered consent for the processing of personal data. Staying with GDPR and an updated commission timetable this week reveals that the review of the General Data Protection Regulation is now scheduled for June the 3rd and that's to be published on June the 3rd. Platform News Now and Facebook have announced their independent oversight board that will take decisions on what content should be allowed or removed online. Its membership is hugely significant in terms of Facebook's position on disinformation, political advertising and illegal content. In terms of European perspective on the membership of the board, we have names such as Andras Sajo, who is a former judge and vice president at the European Court of Human Rights. He has in the past ruled on free speech cases 
erring on the side of freedom of expression. He considers himself a free speech advocate. Then, of course, we have Helle Thornig-Schmidt, ex-Prime Minister of Denmark and former MEP. After the 2015 terrorist attack in Copenhagen, she said that they want to violate our freedom of speech. We have to understand what has hit us, but we must insist on acting as we do, think and talk like we want to. Another notable name is Alan Rusbridger, former Guardian editor when the paper published the Edward Snowden leaks. In 2014, he won the Tully Award for Free Speech and the European Press Prize. Elsewhere in platform news, and the French government has rejected a request for partial unemployment aid from US e-commerce giant Amazon after the online retailer had been asked by a French court to reduce its activities after workers' unions claimed employees' safety had not been guaranteed to protect them from the COVID-19 pandemic. Moving swiftly on to the world of cybersecurity now, and the UK and US on Tuesday issued a joint warning that hackers have been targeting the health sector hunting for information, including COVID-19 data and vaccine research. There's more on that story on the Euractive website. German prosecutors also believe this week that a 2015 hack attack on the country's parliament was carried out by the same Russian operative who a year later derailed Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign by breaking into her emails. And that's a report from a German newspaper. Elsewhere in Europe, there has been a Europol and Eurojust bust this week after Polish and Swiss law enforcement authorities working alongside Europol and Eurojust dismantled Infinity Black, that is a hacking group involved in activities including the distribution of stolen user credentials and creating and distributing malware and hacking tools. Moving on to a topic that we don't really cover too much on the Digital Brief podcast, but we've got some broadband news for you this week, and we've learned that the European Commission will launch a review of its state aid policy with regards to the public financing of broadband networks across EU member states. The executive currently applies the 2013 broadband guidelines when deciding on state aid financing of broadband networks. EU sources informed us this week that the Commission is currently preparing the groundwork for a public consultation and a study on the guidelines, which could result in a relaxing of the 2013 measures, allowing for more public investment into high-capacity networks. Jumping over now to the subject of artificial intelligence, and the UK Home Office's Biometrics and Forensics Ethics Group has published their 2018 annual report highlighting concerns with the use of live facial recognition technologies by the UK police. You can find out more about that report on the Euractive website. Meanwhile, earlier this week, the UK's Biometrics Commissioner, Paul Wiles, said that the UK's surveillance landscape should take greater account of public interest, and he also made the case for future legislation in the field of biometric technologies in the United Kingdom. Speaking at the Westminster Forum earlier this week, Wiles drew on the example of China to show how technology deployed in the current pandemic can be used for new forms of social control in the future. 
and you can read exactly what Paul Wiles had to say at the Westminster Forum on the Euractiv website. Elsewhere, moving back to EU policy now, and the EU's bid to regulate online platforms, the Digital Services Act is likely to address a number of competition issues related to the digital economy, and possibly through the employment of a new competition tool. That's what the EU's digital Tsar, Margrethe Vestager, told MEPs earlier this week. This is what she had to say. Uh, and the third thing is, uh, is what could be a new competition tool uh, to prevent the tipping of markets. Uh, it's not only in digital, but it's more obvious in digital markets that a market can tip. Uh, and here, I think it's very important uh, that we are able to prevent this uh, from happening. Because now we have seen what a world we live in when we have digital gatekeepers in, in a number of uh, markets. And, uh, and here we need uh, tools to help us when things cannot be effectively addressed by 101 or 102, uh, and also to make sure we do not get into a situation where the markets cannot content be contested uh, anymore. On the subject of disinformation now, and Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban has sent a letter this week to the member party presidents of the European People's Party, in which he accuses his political opponents and allies alike of spreading fake news about the Hungarian coronavirus law, which has enabled the government to rule by decree without set time limits. And Euraktiv's Vlad Maximov has the full story on Euraktiv on that report. Also, the updated Commission timetable that we referenced earlier reveals that Vice President for Transparency Vera Jourova and the EU's Foreign Affairs Chief Josep Borrell uh, will present a communication on disinformation in the context of the coronavirus on June the 10th. Elsewhere, thinking more globally about disinformation now, and more than 100 doctors and nurses fighting the COVID-19 pandemic around the world have written to CEOs at Facebook, Twitter, Google and YouTube urging them to issue fact-check corrections to all people exposed to COVID-19 misinformation. Elsewhere in the media world, and a German newspaper reports this week that 17 words about the origin of the coronavirus in China were edited out from an op-ed by EU ambassadors to China in the state newspaper China Daily. The news, of course, comes just a week after the EU's foreign affairs chief Joseph Borrell, again, admitted that Chinese officials had expressed their concerns over the leak of a draft internal publication on disinformation. Talking uh, more broadly now about media sustainability, and the European Commission is mulling over plans to introduce new and innovative financial solutions to support the sustainability of the EU's media sector amid the current public health crisis. Speaking in front of MEPs in the Parliament's Culture Committee on Monday, Internal Market Commissioner Thierry Breton and Innovation Commissioner Maria Gabrielle shed light on how the Commission will look to support the ailing EU media industry, which has been hit hard by the coronavirus outbreak. On a related note, Breton also confirmed that the Media Action Plan would be presented before the end of the year. Earlier this week, I actually caught up with Euractiv's founder, uh, who now heads the Euractiv Fondation think tank, Christophe Leclerc. Um, and he's really been a vocal advocate for media sustainability in the long term. 
and we spoke about the different measures that could be put in place in order to ensure the future sustainability of Europe's media sector. In terms of the current state of play and where we're at now, this is what he had to say. To put things into perspective, the media sector has lost about half of its journalists over the past 10 to 15 years. And uh, apart from public broadcasting, I would say the rest is at risk. In terms of uh, economic uh, importance, it's not huge. It's not as important as tourism. But I think it's even more important uh, for the society. And so it deserves sector-specific measures, just like tourism. Mm-hmm. And what are the wider implications to democracy? Should the European media sector face more difficulties after the public health crisis? Well, I was using an analogy in a recent piece. Um, it's like if you had uh, packs of wolves, which are Facebook and Google, ready uh, to uh, snap on the uh, revenue of the media sector and uh, feeding notably fake news. And then in addition, you will have vultures, the oligarchs that are ready to snap up the media assets that will become valuable. There will be a wave of bankruptcies in the coming months. Maybe it will lead to interesting restructuring, but maybe also to a reduced role for the media sector. So what about future regulation in the field of the media sector? Well, Christophe believes that enough is enough with self-regulation and that the bloc needs to start thinking about a tougher regulatory approach as part of various um, legislative things in the pipeline, including, of course, the Digital Services Act. Encouraging signals have been provided by the EU uh, institutions It has to be said, after a long time of relying too much on self-regulation against converging advice from uh, many experts, but the digital strategy by Executive Vice President Vestager is interesting. It talks about the platforms being systemic, about opening a sector inquiry, about using competition powers ex ante and not only ex post. These words have an important meaning. Basically, it means that the platform should be regulated in the future. On the one hand, in a light way uh, regarding fake news and the like, avoiding censorship, and on the other hand, regarding their economic dominance and the abuse they can do of their uh, dominance. The copyright directive was a promising exercise, but far too long, and it has not delivered at all for the media yet. There will be other initiatives. I believe they should not be only legislative because this is taking too long. They should be using the existing powers of the European Commission, mainly competition. What is at risk here in the short and long term? If the EU media sector doesn't get the support that it deserves, what kind of a future are we looking at in terms of European journalism? First, an anecdote. I was recently in a press conference by two commissioners, uh, no, by one commissioner and minister, and there was only one representative of the media sector putting questions. Is that the future? Press conferences without journalists? Now, coming to the big picture, the risk is that the public space will be fed information mainly by two actors. On the one hand, these social media unregulated platforms, and on the other hand, uh, state TV, which typically depends on the government. This is not enough for what we think about democracy in Europe. 
So it's very important to sustain the media sector. There are many ways of doing it, mainly at the national level. Private sector initiatives can also be taken, and the EU should set the frame in terms of policy and example. And in terms of the future of the EU media sector, Leclerc painted a very bleak picture as the industry continues to struggle against the fallout of the coronavirus. I'm finishing off this week's edition with some more media news now. The first story comes from Germany, and four crew members of the satirical news show Heute Show were hospitalised after being ambushed by 20 to 25 masked individuals after filming on Friday, the 1st of May, at a so-called hygiene demonstration in Berlin, which protests the country's coronavirus restrictions. Although some of the attackers had reportedly used metal rods, all hospitalised crew members have been discharged and are recovering well. Euractive Germany's Sarah Lawton has more on that story on the Euractive website. Moving over to Serbia now, and the regional platform for advocating media freedom and journalist safety said it registered an increase in various forms of pressure and threats targeting media and journalists across the Western Balkans, particularly in Serbia and Bosnia and Herzegovina. And Euractiv Serbia has more on that report. Thank you very much for tuning in to Euractiv's Digital Brief podcast. You'll hear from me again next week.